Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Well, before I begin this morning, I want to just affirm what you've heard about Compassion International. Cindy and I and our family have sponsored several children through the years. Some have uh, graduated out of the program, but uh, one boy in particular has touched my life uh, deeply. Uh, when Cindy and I went to Honduras on a, uh, a trip with Compassion International, we were introduced to a four-year-old boy named Fernando, and uh, they asked us to pray about sponsoring him, and we prayed about five seconds and said yes. And uh, Fernando, uh, on Christmas Day this year, will be 17. So we've had him all of those years, and a, a relationship we've made uh, several trips uh, to his home. We know all his family. And uh, he, like Gerald, uh, does not have a father in the home, doesn't know his father. And the relationship that we have been able to build uh, through those trips, sure, but mainly through the letters that we exchange back and forth continually uh, have uh, changed his life, I'm sure, but they've changed my life. And so I want to encourage you to consider going by the Compassion Table in the Connection Center and taking a look at uh, those packets and prayerfully considering. It's $38 a month. But I can promise you there's not a better way to spend $38 a month than changing the life of an impoverished child and their family. So I encourage you uh, to do that. You know, I, I love to play table games with uh, family and friends. I'll never forget a deacon's retreat uh, years ago uh, when one of our deacons, Tommy Timmons, who is now in heaven, introduced me to a, a domino game called Chicken Foot. Any of you ever play Chicken Foot? Oh, a few of you uh, out there. I, I never even heard of it, uh, but he had special dominoes that had uh, numbers on them instead of dots. And uh, so he taught me to play that game, and I just, uh, I, got, I don't remember what any speaker said at the retreat. I just remember playing chicken foot with Tommy and some of the other deacons, and it was a great time. And I said, you know, I, I need to get some of these dominoes and introduce my grandchildren, uh, grandchildren to this game. And Cindy and I did, and it's become kind of a family tradition uh, through, the, through the years. And uh, another game that I have loved to play over the years uh, uh, with some friends, our dear friends, uh, the Duffies who live just down the street from us, uh, uh, is a card game called Spades. Now, if you're an old-timey Baptist and you think it's a sin to play cards, then I'm busted, okay? But uh, we have loved through the years to play Spades uh, with the Duffies, and uh, Steve and I would uh, beat our wives. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound very good, does it? We would defeat our wives in spades on a regular basis. And uh, Steve is in heaven now, and uh, I really miss those games of spades. But it's a good thing to play games, fun games, with people you love. But it's not a good thing to play games with God. And in our story today, we're going to see some people who were doing exactly that. Our series is Divine Invitation. We've been uh, several weeks in the Gospel of Mark. We've been looking at one of the main themes in that Gospel account. It's the theme of the Kingdom of God. 
Jesus came talking about the kingdom of God. And our, our big idea in week one, which is really kind of the theme for the whole series, is the kingdom of God has come and you are invited to be a part of it. That was Jesus' message to, to those when he walked on the earth. It is still his message to us that the kingdom of God has come and through the gospel you are invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something new. The kingdom of God is something exciting. The kingdom of God is different than anything else ever before. And that's what we're looking at in Mark's gospel today. You know, uh, I said this last week, but it's really true. The stories that we read in Mark's gospels and gospel and the other gospel accounts, these stories uh, could have been like so many other stories in antiquity that just got lost and just faded away into historical oblivion. But by God's providence, these stories have survived and changed millions of lives and eternal souls over the centuries. Uh, and the Gospel of Mark is really a compilation of stories. The Gospel of Mark is the story of the Apostle Peter's experience with Jesus as told by John Mark. And so as we are looking in the Gospel of Mark, we will see that though many things have changed over 20 centuries, one thing that hasn't changed is mankind's sinful human nature. And it manifests itself in, in this way, among many others, that there are those who are genuine, sincere Christ followers, and then there are those who use religion as a scam. And it's all a matter of the heart. Our big idea for today is this. A kingdom heart seeks to glorify God, not use God. And we'll see the difference in the story today. So just as there were those in Jesus' day, even one among his 12 disciples that were phonies and frauds, there were also in his day the Pharisees who were masters at using religion as a scam to control others. We will see how Jesus exposes them and confronts them. And you may be startled at the, the strength of some of Jesus' indictments against them. But if you look into the gospel accounts, here's what you're going to find. Jesus was kind, compassionate, and merciful to everyone except those who claimed to represent God, but in reality were self-serving hypocrites. So if you have a copy of the scripture, would you open it please to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. In the gospel of Mark we see a series of confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees basically were stalking Jesus, following him around, trying to find a way to, to catch him in some uh, breaking of tradition or uh, some way to discredit Jesus in front of the people who were following him. And so there was this constant scrutiny on the part of the Pharisees as to what Jesus and his disciples were doing and how it didn't line up with their man-made religious traditions. 
So let's see the story. Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. Now, then there's a little explanation here. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. There was this very specific, very meticulous process that they followed of pouring water over the hands held just so and, and so forth. Verse 4. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market unless they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. The Jews then in the first century, and really still some Orthodox Jews today, have some very strict guidelines on what eating utensils and what dishes that they can use for certain kinds of food and not other kinds of food and certain ways that they are to be washed and cleansed and on and on. It's this very structured, meticulous process. And the Pharisees saw that Jesus and his disciples didn't follow any of that and they gasped when they saw them eat without going through this, what had really become a sacred ceremony having to do with eating. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. <laughs> but Jesus saw through all that. Jesus, who understood their motives, saw that the Pharisees' traditions were part of the scam that they used to use religion for their own personal benefit. You see, the Pharisees had no concern whatsoever for spiritual value in this. It was just part of their scam. It was part of their system to keep the people under their control. And Jesus threatened their system, the system that they held over people. And so Jesus minced no words when he confronted them. Verse 6, Jesus replied, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, the Pharisee spirituality was about one inch deep. But Jesus wanted true faith to go all the way to the heart, to the very core of who we are. And for Christ followers, it has everything to do with love for Jesus and love for others. You see, if our heart's greatest desire is not to honor Christ and deny self, then our religious practices would be just a clever act. Jesus pulled no punches 
when he exposed the fraudulent religion of the Pharisees. He used no tact whatsoever. He called them out. Verse 7, he said of them, Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Now we could hear this story and, and think, well, the, you know, this is just something that uh, people that we don't even have anymore today, Pharisees aren't around anymore, uh, this is just a, a first century story. It really has no application for today. Yes, it does. We can be guilty of substituting our own traditions and acting like they're Scripture. I joked uh, in the beginning of the, the message about uh, if you're an old-fashioned card-playing Baptist, I was busted for playing spades. But I can remember, how, how many of you grew up Baptist? Let me see your hands out there. Yeah. Can you remember when it was taught that it was a sin to play cards or dominoes or for women to wear pants? You remember that kind of day? And thankfully, we've moved past those particular man-made traditions, but it's easy in every generation to take things that we have decided are not right, that are not clear teaching of Scripture, and adding them to our religious practice as if they were the Word of God, when in reality, they're just our traditions. And Jesus is calling out the Pharisees to be sure, but he's calling us out too to make sure that we don't add to the Word of God something that we have decided that is not the clear teaching of sacred Scripture. Here's what he said to the Pharisees that day, verse 9. He said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition." And just to make sure that they understood what he was accusing them of, he gave them a very specific example. Verse 10. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. This is Old Testament. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Now, I'm glad we don't live in the era of God's instant judgment on sin, aren't you? We live in grace. We're not going to be put to death if we violate something. But in Old Testament times, God was showing how serious he was about uh, his commands. And in this particular instance, the command is still valid. Honor your father and mother. And it was the tradition, it was part of the culture among first century Jews that they were responsible for taking care of the financial needs of their aging parents. And by the way, that's still a good Christian practice. Uh, as much as we can, and many of you are doing this right now, your aging parents have needs and you are helping to meet their needs. But here's what Jesus said about what they were doing in that day. Verse 11. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. Now, here's, here's how the scam worked for the Pharisees. 
The only people that would be released from obligation of helping their aging parents financially were people who only had enough money for their own needs. They had no discretionary uh, means to help. So here's the loophole. Here's the workaround that the Pharisees found. The Pharisees would take all of their money and put it in the temple treasury. The, the, the problem was they had access to the temple treasury for anything they wanted to use it for, including their own desires. So even though they took all their money, put it in the temple treasury, we have given all our money to God, they really had their hand in the, in the cookie jar for anything they chose to use it for. But when their own parents would come to them and say, we have need, can you help us? They would say, oh no, we can't help you, we don't have any money. We gave it all to God. And so they, they had this scam going, this loophole that they exploited to do what God had commanded that they would do. And here's the, the meaning of that, verse 13. And so, you cancel the Word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And then Jesus said, and that's not the only one. And this is only one example among many others. They would bend the truth to put money in their own pocket and look religious in front of other people, even their own parents who they were cheating. You know what? Bending the truth is always bad. It's always bad. But it is especially destructive when the ones who do it claim to represent God. And friends, I probably don't have to tell you, there are a lot of people who have been working religious scams in our lifetime, and still are. The Pharisees were not only dishonoring God, they were using a perversion of Old Testament law, and they were manipulating the people with it to their own benefit. And Jesus said, that's not the only way you're doing it. They were also use, using the, the dietary laws. Not just what Scripture had to say, but they had added this whole system of what you can eat and can't eat on this day and that day. And, and they had this elaborate, restrictive, oppressive system of dietary laws. And they taught the people that your way to be right with God was to listen to what we teach and keep all of these dietary rules. And Jesus was saying, no, no, no. That's not it at all. Verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Jesus saying, it's not all these external things. It's not keeping this big system of do's and don'ts. The Pharisees had, had reduced faith in God to a whole long list of their own concocted do's and don'ts. And Jesus said, no, no, it's about your heart. It's about your heart. And really, Jesus made it pretty simple. And what we have referred to as the great commandment, 
Look with me at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning with verse 37. Jesus spells it out very clearly. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, this is it. This is the Christian life in a nutshell. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. It's the heart that matters. And so what we need to hear from Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees' false system and Jesus pointing us to what is really true and central and important to the life of the Christ follower. If we don't take Jesus' command to love God and love others seriously, we're just playing games with God. That's what the Pharisees were doing. The Apostle Paul said, if love is not a core value of your heart, if love is not central to who you are as a Christ follower, then you're just making religious noise. Hear his words in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What do you mean, Paul, love? What what does that even look like? He tells us in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. You see... If our hearts are aligned with Him, if we understand what Jesus said was at the core of our faith, the great commandment to love God and love others, then the question for us to ask in every circumstance for every decision is this question. What does love require of me? What do I do here? What does love require of me? How should I act in this situation? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? But if a person is just playing games with God, if they're just religious and they're not a true Christ follower, they ask a very different question. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Jesus had some choice words for the people who were playing games, the Pharisees. And I want to read this verse from Matthew 23, verse 27, from the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, a great scholar and and pastor of years ago, he's in heaven now, but he wrote the whole Bible in a paraphrase. It's called the message, great devotional reading. Uh, And this one verse, I think he absolutely nailed it. Verse 23, uh, verse 27 of chapter 23, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He said, you're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like (laughs) manicured grave plots. 
grass clipped and the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. What a picture. I remember hearing this verse when I was growing up from the King James. And it said, you're, you're like a, a whitewashed sepulcher. I had no idea what a sepulcher was. But this helps me to understand. Jesus is saying, somebody who doesn't have a pure heart, who's just religious on the surface, you're like a, a graveside. You're like a, a burial plot. That's all, the, the lawn is all manicured and the, and the gravestone is shiny and there's beautiful flowers on top. But down below, it's all just a rotting corpse. What a powerful word picture of the fallacy of having religion and not a heart that's changed to love God and love others. You see, people who play games with God may fool people on the outside, but God knows what's going on in everyone's heart. So, uh, let's, let's wrap up the, the message from Mark chapter 7 today and uh, let me ask you some questions. Questions to be sure that you're not playing games with God and I'm not playing games with God. Here's the first of three. Are you hearing and obeying the teaching of all of Scripture or are you just picking the ones that fit what you want to do? See, people that are playing games with God, uh, they may hear the Scripture being taught, but they just kind of pick and choose what fits what they already have decided they want to do. But people who really want to grow in the Lord and be used by God, they soak up the truth of Scripture like a sponge. They listen to the Word of God. They seek to, to... Apply the truth of Scripture to their lives in a way that pleases and honors God. And if we don't do that, we're just playing games. You know, really you can be in church every Sunday till Jesus comes again and not really apply anything you hear. The book of James calls it being a hearer and not a doer of God's Word. And that's playing the Pharisee game. Here's a second question. Do you truly love the lost and unlovely or just the people who are like you and agree with you? Do you love people who are just like you and they like you? <laughs> it's easy to do. To love the people who like you and are like you. But what about those people who are different? What about those people who think differently than you do? What about those people who act differently? What about people who are far from God and they show it in their actions? Do you love those people? The people who are impoverished in third world countries, the people who are trying to escape and, and are causing a crisis for our country because they're trying to get in to escape poverty and crime. How do you feel about people that are unlovely are not like you. Do we have the love of Jesus? Hmm. Here's a third question. Is your heart focused on loving Jesus and advancing the gospel? Or do you really have a different set of values and agenda? Here's why I, I, I include this question. 
there is so much going on in our world. There is so much division, especially in our own country. There's so many things going on that are troubling that it is so easy to lose our focus and our passion on what really matters most and get sidetracked with other things. Listen, all of these things that divide us, and we could make a list of those things, all of the things that are divisive in our culture, in our country, all of those things, listen friend, they're going to pass away. There'll come a time when we'll be done with that. And there'll be a new set of things going on. But the gospel and people's souls last forever. Our focus must be on what really matters. The kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our heart must be sold out to him. And a kingdom heart seeks to glorify God, not use God. We end our service each week with a time of prayer. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what people you may be burdened for that need prayer. But can I just tell you this? To come and pray with godly people about something, there's power in that. And so we have reinstituted our prayer time at the end of the service. And in just a moment, our deacons and their wives will be here at the front and up in the balcony. If there's something going on that's a burden on your heart, pray with them about it. They'll keep it in confidence. If you have need of healing, then come according to the teaching of Scripture and let an elder of the church anoint you. And I would be honored to do that. And Cindy and I will pray over you for God's healing, whatever is going on uh, in your body. But, but the third and most important part of my invitation is this. If you're here today and you know you need to take the next step in your faith journey, whatever that might be, wherever you are on that journey of faith, if you need to take the next step, maybe that next step is to give your heart to Christ, then just come to one of these deacons and their wives and simply say this, I need to take the next step. We've had a number of people do that in the last few weeks. And maybe you need to do it today. Maybe in your own way you've kind of been playing games with God and it's time to stop playing games and be serious about faith. If that's the case, I encourage you to come. These people love you and will pray with you and will help you take that next step. So would you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that for those who truly have a heart to know you and follow you and honor you, you are always tender and merciful and compassionate. Lord, help us never to play games with you because we see how you felt about those who wouldn't be serious about true faith they only wanted to play religious games. Help us never to do that, but help us to truly seek you and to love you and to love others. I pray for these next few moments. There are some people who need to come pray with somebody, and our deacons and their wives are here to pray with them. Lord, there are those who need to take the next step in their faith journey. Give them the courage simply to come and say, I need to take the next step. 
and we'll help them do that. We give this brief but very important time to you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we thank you that you are at work. 
We thank you that hearts are being touched, lives are being changed. The power of Jesus Christ is at work in the lives of many people. And we pray that you would be honored, magnified, and glorified. Help us to trust in you, Lord. Help us when we don't understand to trust your heart. Help us, Lord, when we are tempted to worry, to replace it with faith. Help us to believe, Lord, that you always keep your promises and do what you have said. And even before we see the results, we give you praise for what you're going to do. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Folks, let me encourage you one more time to go by the Compassion Table in the Connection Center. Prayerfully consider sponsoring one of those precious children. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, everybody.